KHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Thursday, the 7th of July. This is Money Talk on Radio 3, and here are today's business headlines. Minutes from the Federal Open Market Committee's June meeting, released Wednesday, showed Fed officials believed entrenched inflation poses a significant risk to the US economy. The minutes suggest even tighter monetary policy may be required from the US central bank if... if if price growth exceeds policymakers' expectations. New COVID infections in Shanghai have prompted a new round of screening in nine of Shanghai's 16 districts, raising concerns that the city could be heading for another round of lockdowns. Officials launched two rounds of mass testing for COVID through until today, after the city reported 25 new cases of the virus. And the S&P Global Hong Kong PMI fell to 52.4 in June from 54.9 a month earlier and pessimism returned following two months of optimism amid the lingering impacts of COVID-19. However, the latest print was the third straight month of growth in the private sector with both output and new orders rising at softer rates. Firms saw a 13th straight month of drops in new orders from China. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by personal wealth advisor Enzio von Fahl and Louisa Fogg from the Bank of Singapore. And we also discuss the MPF performance in the first half of 2022 with Francis Chung of MPF Ratings. And please let us have your questions or comments. You can text 6393 5925, email Talk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, US stocks rose following the release of the Fed minutes, showing the US central bank committed to bringing down inflation. The S&P 500 rose for the third straight day, adding 0.4% to 3,845. The Dow climbed 70 points, ending the day at 31,038. The Nasdaq was up 0.4% at 11,362. In Europe, the regional stock 600 index jumped 1.7% higher. London's FTSE 100 rose 1.2%. And worries about the latest, latest surge in COVID cases on the mainland hits Chinese markets. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng was down 266 points, or 1.2%, at 21,587. And the tech index fell 1.2%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite slipped 1.4% to 3,355. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil has dropped below $100 for the first time since late April. It's down 3% at $99.80 a barrel. And the strong US dollar hits gold once again, with the yellow metal sliding 1.5% to $1,740 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose 11 basis points to 2.93%. And the dollar surged again yesterday with the US dollar index at a fresh 2022 high. Euro weakness continued, with the euro falling below $1.02 to lows of $1.16, and that's levels not seen since 2002. 
the single currency is currently trading at 101 and three quarters. The Japanese yen is unchanged at 135.97 and and uh, sterling continues its slide with the chaos inside the UK government. At least 44 ministers and aides have quit over the past two days. The pound fell to a new two-year low of $1.19 and a quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 35 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.71 and a half in both offshore and onshore markets this morning. And Bitcoin is up 0.6%, currently trading at $20,500. In Asia-Pacific markets uh, this morning, all moving slightly to the upside at the open. The S&P ASX 200 in Australia up 0.4%. Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen about a third of a percent. Cosby in South Korea up three quarters of a percent. But it does look like the Hang Seng is going to fall once again. Futures markets pointing to a loss of about 130 points at the open this morning. Time's just gone 8.08. Let's welcome our guests this Thursday morning with us, personal wealth advisor, Enzio von Fahl. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you, Peter. And also with us, Louisa Falk, China equity strategist at the Bank of Singapore. Morning, Louisa. Morning, Peter. Minutes from the FOMC, uh, the FOMC's June meeting released yesterday show Fed officials believed entrenched inflation poses a significant risk to the U.S. economy if the public began to question the resolve of the FOMC to adjust the stance of policy as warranted. The minutes suggest even tighter monetary policy may be required from the Fed if price growth exceeds policymakers' expectations. And the account of the June meeting shows FOMC members now support raising interest rates to the point at which economic activity is restrained and the possibility that they could become even more restrictive if warranted by the data. So, Enzio, did we learn anything new from the minutes? What we learned is that they have learned nothing they a year ago were saying inflation was transitory now all of a sudden it's it's stuck in so gosh they're worse than the imf or the world bank who took six months or nine months to figure out that this inflation is still sticking around they've learned nothing to the extent my old chestnut that inflation is a demand pull sorry but also a cost push we still don't have enough copper mines around we don't have enough gold mines around oil isn't exactly being produced too much either and all these kinds of commodities the weather's wreaking havoc so um, i'm afraid they get sort of a c minus in my book on economic monetary policy and they're going to have to carry on raising at quite an aggressive rate, according to these minutes, 50 or 75 basis points this month. Well, yeah, that's going to then push the yield curve flat and the yield curve. The yield curve is, is beaming recession. Larry Summers rule that we gave you a couple of weeks ago that whenever unemployment and inflation are above 4%, then recession looms, May's inflation is 8.6%. The unemployment rate currently in May, 3.6%. Let's quibble about some digit bashing here. And so um, it's, not, it's just not go. And finally, the Texans will not play ball on the lowering of the oil price because guess what? They're Republicans and they don't maybe want Joe Biden and Biden's team to win in the midterms. So if that Larry Summers rule still holds that uh, uh, inflation and unemployment uh, exceed 4%, 
uh, to get or it's also been the case that inflation has never been brought down uh, from those sort of levels until real rates are positive. So the Fed has got no choice but to raise rates even more aggressively than it's talking about here. Very it? good point, because the Fed funds are, are still at minus 7 percent or something like that. Yeah. Louisa, what are your thoughts? Um, I think, like uh, Andrew mentioned, but I think one of the things uh, is a, ch- a shift in tone in a sense that it, there seems to be growing acceptance that uh, growth at some point that they may be willing to sacrifice so as to bring price stability back. And they are ready to do so. And if you look at the consensus estimate by the interest rate futures market, I think um, the market is now expecting a 75 basis point rate high if, uh, at the July FOMC meeting. Uh, at Bank of Singapore, we expect that the rate will reach uh, to about 4% in early next year. But um, even though they're saying that there's more risks for economic growth now to the downside, there's still no mention of recession within the minutes. Are, are they behind the curve there as well? I think they're scared to say it. Um, and that's it's kind of interesting what Louisa was just saying, that the U.S. Is, wants to keep growth going and, and the China wants to kill COVID. So you have two major growth constraints. Mm. So so what do they do? I mean, they're, they're, they're really caught, aren't they? In a trap of their own making, I have to say. Well, it'll just be like the, the 70s stagflation that Volcker, don't fall off your chair, Peter, pushed the Fed funds rate up to 19%. Now, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. We kind of figured that one out, okay? But I think they're going to have to get that Fed funds rate at least into positive territory, currently around minus 7%, I believe. Maybe it's currently minus 6 It doesn't matter. It's still very, very loose monetary policy. I'm afraid that's going to have to tighten up, um, and that's going to flatten the yield curve and um, meanwhile, inflation rises, unemployment rises, so it's going to be one hell of a shindig. Mm. So, Louisa, how do you squeeze this type of inflation out of the system? Um, I, I think we have this discussion several times. I think this time round, the inflation is mainly driven by uh, supply side, mm. uh, especially with the supply chain challenges that have been in place. Uh, in this kind of situation, it tends to be more stickier and it will generally take longer uh, to adjust it. Um, I, I think uh, situations uh, definitely show some signs of improvement. Uh, if you look at all the commodity uh, indicators, uh, they have been... Uh, trending down. Uh, so at least it's, it's a good start, but I think it, it does take then more than just um, demand-driven type of inflation right. uh, in order to bring prices back. The, the FOMC and the markets are not on the same page, are they? Not for the first time, we, we have to say, but mm. um, the, the markets now seem to be very much focused on recession, don't they, in the both stock markets, bond markets, and, and as you said, Louisa, in the commodity markets. Well, they're behind the curve, and that's 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 so often the case. Perhaps a lot of this is, despite being very gifted, the, a lot of the people at the Fed are, at the end of the day, academics. They want more knowledge than money, and so um, that's probably answers a lot of their mindset. Mm. Louisa, what's the situation on the mainland? We we saw uh, this report that Chinese authorities could dip into strategic port reserves because they want to rein in uh, the the price of uh, of pork, and the uh, the NDRC is talking about uh, trying to curb irrational behaviours in the market. It seems that they are concerned about inflation there, aren't they? Food price inflation in particular. Um, if you look at the composite of the uh, inflation indicator, the CPI hot prices is actually one of the key components. And I think unlike any other things, there's a 
production cycle for hog for pig, uh, and it takes uh, in general more than six months. So I think uh, dipping into the strategic reserves definitely is one of the way to address the um, the the challenges in the production cycle per se. Uh, but I think uh, last month um, the authority already have discussion with me with many of the upstream uh, producer, i.e. Uh, the hog. Uh, or the piglets producers um, targeting, you know, to increase uh, the supply. But um, again, it takes time. Uh, it, it, unlike any other uh, commodities or, or, or products. So I think this is a short-term way to address. But nevertheless, I think um, they. Uh, if you look at the absolute level of the CPI, uh, it's definitely a lot more comfortable uh, for China than the rest of the world. On the other hand, if you look at the producer price index, which is the PPI, I think, yes, it's still at the elevated level, but it's trending down. Uh, so that's definitely uh, uh, more favorable for China on this day. So is there something to be learned here? Because China obviously is far more interventionist in its markets in terms of keeping prices under control. Uh, and it even will, and it will even put price curbs in place if necessary. Um, do other governments around the world need to think about the same thing? Well, they did um, many, many years ago. You and I, Peter, know that. Um, we're both old men these days, but it didn't kind of work, these price controls, the rent controls and all that, because it just gets to be pent-up demand or pent-up willingness to push up prices later on. Mm. So I'm afraid that doesn't quite stick. Um, on top of which, if I may just digress into what Louisa was saying, that Demure's chief economist, Lu Ting, spoke a lot of sense when he said that Beijing might maintain the zero COVID policy until March 2023. So there are now two types of different type of business cycle in China, which is which is one that fluctuates on regarding the imposition and the lifting of lockdowns. So that on top of what we overworked economists have to do about just trying to figure out where we are in the cycle means it's a little bit tricky to figure out what, what the health policy will be. Louisa, where do, where do you invest in this type of markets where you've got uh, very stubborn inflation and now also, you know, signs that maybe uh, economies are starting to tip over into recession? What do you do? Because uh, your typical balance portfolio is not working at the moment, is it? Mm, I think uh, in times of volatile market, one of the thing is uh, definitely uh, uh, some some of the position within like for the defensive play definitely warrant in a sense that I, I will be looking into companies that have solid balance sheet, uh, they have strong cash flow and dividend payout. And if you look across the board, banks used to be one of the focus, but I mean with the recession sphere, uh, we have all known that you know uh, that share price can be volatile. For me actually some of the Chinese telcos actually offer relatively defensive uh, uh, play in a sense that uh, their payout, they have strong cash flow, uh, their payout ratio uh, is expected to increase and some of them even are having a net cash position so the um, dividend payout is kind of more or less guaranteed another asset class that uh, has been in focus will be the REITs but um, I think uh, bear in mind that with uh, the US in 
interest rate is on the rise, uh, we do need a much higher buffer. Otherwise, the yield spread is set to narrow and it will also be affecting the price. Um, here in this part of the world, I think one of the things that we have always learned is that focus on the policy. Uh, policy driven or policy beneficiaries has always been uh, one of the key area of focus. But uh, with the very volatile market, I think investor will have to be very nimble. Uh, and definitely cutting leverage is one of the things that uh, should uh, should be focusing on as well. Okay, let's turn our attention to Hong Kong uh, because we had some data. The S&P Global Hong Kong PMI fell to 52.4 in June from 54.9 a month ago. Pessimism returned following two months of optimism. Uh, the latest print was the third straight month of growth, though, in the private sector, although it was slower with output and new orders rising at softer rates. At the same time, there was a renewed fall in foreign demand, with firms seeing a 13th straight month of drop in new orders from China and companies also cutting back on input buying. What can we learn from this, sir, Enzio? Well, that we are still the water skier at the back of the Chinese speedboat, something I've been saying for years and everybody knows that, that, what the, you know, that we're dependent on China. And, and my view is that China, this growth story in China is not all that it's cracked up to be. So I think we're looking for further slowdowns here. On the China things, we've got the obvious, but also, again, the, you know, the, the Ukraine war and all these kinds of things. But um, I think the key point there is that this, it's the COVID policy that's going to dictate the outcome of that. And that then is going to also then feed into Hong Kong's outlook going forward. And also, besides which, with world trade slowing, um, Hong Kong doesn't exactly benefit when world trade slows, does it? Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of talk um, about uh, President Biden removing tariffs mm. on, on Chinese, uh, Chinese goods. What benefit will that have for Hong Kong and for Hong Kong firms? Uh, not point not. It, the, because the removal of, of tariffs is something that's very, very fiddly. It's, it's sort of like on, on hairpins that are two inches long and 1.3 millimeters wide, perhaps. So in other words, it's so specific. Um, secondly, it doesn't affect the U.S. inflation rate, which you would have thought it would cut U.S. inflation. Then they can loosen monetarily and off we go again. That's not going to happen because what we suggested two weeks ago was that the Peterson Institute said that the inflation would be cut by about one percentage point or something eye-popping. So um, I think it will, if anything, sort of keep Hong Kong in a box. It won't kill it, it wouldn't, but tariff, lifting of tariffs wouldn't help it would help at the margin, but really, that I wouldn't bank on that one. Louisa, if we get a, a tariff removal even on some Hong Kong goods, how uh, on some um, uh, Chinese goods, how will that affect the markets and investors' sentiment? Uh, from a sentiment perspective, that will definitely be welcome and positive. But I think um, the, the situation could remain fluid and it's likely to be very targeted. Um, if you look at various uh, press reports, it seems to be focusing on some of the consumer-related uh, or uh, healthcare-related. Uh, so I think there's, uh, there's definitely getting in between a tug of war in a sense that for some of the Chinese exporter. Uh, they may be able to see some rebound in export growth or market share. But bear in mind, over in the U.S., the consumer sentiment is really weak in a sense that the University of Michigan consumer sentiment is currently at, at a trough uh, over the past few decades. And, and what do you think about Chinese markets? Because they have outperformed uh, in the first half of the year, haven't they, other global markets, including the U.S. and Europe. And we have had a bit of a rebound as well 
Uh, since the low in mid-March, the Hang Seng's up 21% since then. The Shanghai Composite uh, up 17% since it hit a two-year low in April. Uh, do you think that outperformance is going to continue? Um, from from our perspective, we do see that probably we could have seen the worst. Um, we are, are seeing some positive uh, s- uh, factors lining up. For instance, uh, uh, some reopening, despite that we do believe the reopening is going to be bumpy. Uh, secondly, policy is definitely supportive. Uh, upcoming, we have the July Politburo meeting and we'll see whether there could be potential further step up from the physical measure stimulus. Uh, thirdly, uh, from a stock market perspective, I think uh, the tightening on the internet and platform is now heading towards more like a normalization trend. Um, so that will definitely help support uh, the valuation. But bear in mind, um, especially for the offshore Chinese equities market or Hang Seng per se, uh, we still get the impact from the US monetary tightening cycle. Okay. Uh, so this is something uh, that's going to keep the recovery path bumpy. Okay, thank you very much. That's Louisa Fogg, China equity strategist at the Bank of Singapore and personal wealth advisor Enzio von File. 567 AM Radio 3. All being well. All being well. From mental health to physical fitness. From trendy sustainable tips to the latest COVID news. We've got you covered. Every week we'll be joined by experts from all walks of life to talk about all things wellness. Because, well, you You deserve deserve to be well. Join me, Ben Cullen. And me, Alison Howe. Every Saturday at 3 p.m. Live on RTHK TV 31. And live on RTHK Radio 3. All All being well. Times 8.24. With us now is Francis Chung, Executive Chairman of MPF Ratings. Morning, Francis. Good morning. Um, you don't have good news for us, do you, about the uh, the performance of the MPF uh, for the first half of this year, I don't think. <laughs> no, it's been a very difficult year, but I think the key point to stress is that... Um you know, uh, performance is not a function of the MPF system. It's a function of uh, of markets. Um, the system takes returns that the market gives. Um, it doesn't make the returns uh, themselves. So how bad has it been? What's the data telling us? Um, it's the worst start for the first six calendar months since inception. So that's over 21 years. And we're estimating that uh, the first half year loss is around $150 billion, which... On uh, for an average MPF member, that's about a twenty-seven thousand Hong Kong dollar loss for the first six months. So that's a, it's about what I think about thirteen percent, isn't it? The on average, uh, the the MPF fund has lost in the in the first six months of the year. That's correct on the average. Yeah, I suppose the thing that's surprising because a lot of people are invested in local funds, aren't they? Hang Seng uh, funds, Hong Kong stocks. The Hang Seng index fell six point six percent in the first six months. Overall, it's a lot worse even than the the local benchmark. Yeah, uh, look, there's a couple of ways to look at it. I think that's one of the positives that's come out of um, sort of the the analysis that we've run uh, for the first six months, which is that, you know, Hong Kong China equities had a very difficult previous 12 months and probably up to the first quarter of this year through to April, but there has been a bit of a turnaround. And as you said, there's a the biggest asset class within MPF is Hong Kong China equities, which has, I think, a market share of just under 25%. So 
relatively speaking, for a number of members, the results are probably not as bad. Um, where Mark, where MPF returns have disappointed is just just like what we've seen in in outside of MPF monies, just generally is uh, global equities. Mm. And if if you look at a, a traditional conservative fund, maybe a balanced fund of 60% equities, 40% bonds. This year, even that hasn't done very well, has it? It's been a real disaster uh, for almost all types of funds. Well, actually, that that, that is a, a, a very fair point, which is that we are in an unusual situation uh, where we've got um, slowing growth, rising inflation. Um, obviously, that's not a great environment for equities or bonds. So from mm. a traditional diversification perspective, um, it's been uh, it's been a difficult environment. Is the MPF still creating real wealth? In other words, is it outperforming inflation? Because inflation's going up now quite rapidly, yes. um, isn't it? So what, what's, what's it looking like? Yeah, look, since inception, uh, MPF has outperformed inflation. So as a you know, if if creating real wealth is your benchmark, then um, then um, MPF has done that since inception. I think that's one of the key points to also make, which is that MPF is not a short-term um, investment vehicle. It is a mm. system designed to provide um, uh, wealth uh, for retirement. So that's through your working life. So over the long term, it uh, certainly has uh, beaten inflation. Over the short term, there are clearly challenges. And to your point, Peter, uh, looking at sort of traditional assets, bonds and equities, it's been a tough six months. And I think that brings to light uh, the importance of diversification and, and looking at um, other asset classes that um, offer true diversification outside of traditional financial assets such as equities and bonds as well. It also does highlight, doesn't it, the importance of taking a long-term view, because if, particularly if you're young, You've got maybe 30, 40 years ahead of you uh, before retirement, so plenty of time uh, to contribute into the, the fund and see the performance. So presumably it's important that people don't panic now, isn't it? A absolutely. Um, again, you know, I cannot stress enough that uh, MPF is a system designed to uh, build wealth for one's retirement, and particularly if you're young. I mean, there's a wonderful opportunity to top up MPF accounts. Um, it's a relatively, believe it or not, it is actually a very relatively cost-effective and flexible savings vehicle. And if I can give you an anecdotal evidence, my eldest son is 24 years old. He has a, um, a special um, savings vehicle through MPF, and... Um, you know, there is temptation for him just to close out his account, but um, I have emphasized with him that this is a wonderful opportunity to actually continue to save and, and grow wealth for his retirement. Because you'll be putting in money now at much lower prices, so over a long period of time, that's not a bad thing. Correct. Uh, also, it's important, it's, I know people who think they can time the markets. I've actually never met anyone who's been able to do that successfully, but there are people who think that they can time this and sort of move money in and out, you know, according to the market cycles. It's a very difficult thing to do, isn't it, and, and not recommended? Uh, look, it is extremely difficult to do, and I think the point that you raised early on um, in our conversation that um, local equities have actually sort of fallen significantly less than um, other asset classes this year um, strikes a chord. I mean, I think up to March of or April of this year, Hong Kong China equities have produced a negative return 10 out of 12 months. And, you know, 
five minutes ago, you're, you're, you're highlighting the fact that um, Hong Kong and China equities have actually done significantly better than the average MPF return over the first six months. So, you know, uh, as you say, timing markets is extremely difficult to do. And, you know, for all of the criticism that the MPF system gets, the introduction of the default investment strategy where, um, you know, there's a ready-made diversified um, investment portfolio where members don't have to make a choice uh, that benefits members. And what do you recommend people should do um, in, in order to, you know, in this type of environment? Yeah, look, I think we've our, our message has been very consistent, which is, firstly, um, returns are not a function of MPF. Um, the MPF system takes returns that the market gives. Time in market, not market timing. Diversification, and um, to the extent that one has uh, or is committed to saving for retirement. In falling markets, quality assets become cheaper and provides a wonderful opportunity to top up rather than trade. Francis, always good to talk to you. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you very much. That's Francis Chung, Executive Chairman of MPF Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. First of all, in Australia, the ASX 200 right now, that's down, uh, sorry, up about half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan, also up about half a percent. Over in South Korea, the Cosby moving further ahead, up 1.4%. Does look like we're going to see another fall, though, for the Hang Seng this morning of about 130 points or so at the open. Do please join me again tomorrow morning. I have all the latest business and finance news for you on Money Talk at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news, back chats with James, uh, Janice Wong and James Ockenden and the weather forecast. Mainly cloudy, occasional showers, isolated thunderstorms. Temperature's going to be around 31 degrees. Weather is going to be improved gradually in the next couple of days and it will be hot. Uh, temperature right now, 28 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. We begin locally. Health officials say they're worried the COVID situation here is getting worse. The hospital authority says the number of patients admitted with coronavirus has doubled since early last month, while more people are in serious or critical condition. A chief manager at the authority, Dr. Gladys Kwan, warned of pressure on the healthcare system. She said services might have to be adjusted if the situation keeps on deteriorating. We'll have an overall observation of the service provision as well as the overall condition of the patients. So uh, now we are in uh, our central uh, command committee for operation to discuss every day. So probably we were very cautious about the service adjustment. The Center for Health Protection reported 2,815 cases yesterday, of which 143 were imported and one more patient with COVID has died. Overseas now, British media say the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has refused to resign despite calls from senior ministerial colleagues and the resignation of dozens of junior ministers. Earlier during intense questioning by a parliamentary committee, Mr Johnson insisted he would continue. I think that it's a good thing uh, if governments which have a substantial uh, mandate uh, from the electorate uh, and are doing an enormous amount of stuff and of, uh, when that country is facing uh, a lot of pressure, particularly economic uh, pressure, uh, when, the, when there are serious international issues uh, at stake, I think on the whole it is sensible uh, not to get bogged down in discussion about electoral politics. 
Prosecutors in the U.S. say the man charged with killing seven people at an Independence Day parade in Chicago has confessed to the mass shooting. Robert Cremo, who is 21, has appeared in court for the first time since the attack on July the 4th. The BBC's Barbara Platt Usher reports. Police said Mr. Cremo had escaped the scene dressed as a woman and fled to the neighboring state, Wisconsin. That he'd considered firing on another 4th of July parade there, but that he'd decided he hadn't done enough planning. So he returned to the Chicago area where he was arrested. The judge has denied bail. Officials have said Mr. Cremo legally purchased five guns. Questions are mounting about how he was able to do so despite two troubling encounters with police. Environmental campaigners are suing Dutch airline KLM, alleging that the company's sustainability initiatives are misleading. The BBC's Merlin Thomas has more. For the first time ever, environmentalist groups are suing an airline for greenwashing. In other words, making something look 